Hello, 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 and welcome to Tease Me. This is a podcast about the intersection of golf, business, and life. And occasionally we'll drop some gems on networking and just how that makes your life better. Because knowing more than one person is actually a good thing. Hello, Tease Me listeners. Welcome to another episode. It is season three, and we are focused on the entrepreneurs. You know, the entrepreneurial story. We always talk about the hustle culture, but we never talk about where did that hustle culture originate from? And should you be hustling forever? The answer is no. At some point, you should delegate. You should let people do the work and be the runners and do all of the smaller things while you step up and lead your organization. So here's the secret. The key to longevity is consistency. We have a third-generation entrepreneur as our guest on this episode. Michael James is a graduate of Morehouse College with a degree in marketing, year of 1993. He was a Peace Corps volunteer and served two years in Kenya as a small business advisor. He has an MBA, which led him into the world of beauty care. He started his career in brand management from business school, working on Mitchum Deodorant, Almay and Color Stay at Revlon. He then moved to L'Oreal, where he was leading two of their salon brands, Mizani and Biolage. During those eight years, the idea of developing products for men like himself grew brighter. Our guest, Mike James, said, who could do this better than myself? Inspired by his grandfather, Frederick Benjamin Schubert, who was from a generation of men who took pride in their daily appearance and could always be found in a tie, top hat, and suit, he used that spirit to create the name, a promise and a mission to continue the tradition of style that inspires by delivering world-class grooming experiences. He's come a long way and their brands have been featured in Forbes magazine, Harper Bazaar, and the New York Times. Two of the items won 2020 grooming awards. The most exciting part of this journey is that they have a great partnership with Target, and now they're able to bring the best grooming experiences to households nationwide. Let's welcome our guest, Michael James. Let's kick it off. I mean, Mike, your brand is in Target. I mean, tell us, why do people, men specifically, need to care about grooming? Well, so, I mean, we've always cared about the way we look. Right, whether it be the clothes that we wear, um, the shoes that we've got on, and so, um, and we've always wanted the best, right? The newest, hottest clothing item, and so you know, there's nothing like um, a bad haircut that messes up a great outfit, right? Or wearing um, essentially Vaseline on your head when you've got a great suit on, but it's melting down your down your scalp, right? So, you know, for me, um, this is about pairing innovation, newness, natural products to men who are already, um, you know, the forefront of style. And, 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 you know, when I looked at the market, there was nothing like this, you know, it was a personal struggle to find something uh, up to par, if you will. And so, with my experience, I just thought, you know, who better else to do this than, than I, so. I love it, I love it. So, I mean, we're gonna dig deeper into that, but let's talk about the name. I, I understand you're a third generation entrepreneur. We can dig into that, but talk about the name of the brand and like how that came to be. Yeah, well, so, you know, so the name is, 
The name Frederick Benjamin, um, well, Frederick Benjamin is my grandfather. He's Frederick Benjamin Shumpert. Um, and I, I was given one of his names, so I'm Michael Frederick James. Um, but, you know, I didn't start out by naming this uh, line after him. You know, like every entrepreneur trying to figure out what to name their new venture, um, it was a process. And, you know, going around in circles, every time I would speak to the designer, um, we would get back to the fact that this thing needed a name. And so um, I put all the arbitrary names uh, or naming conventions to the side and just started putting together cool names that I thought were, you know, sophisticated, if you will. Um, and I put my grandfather on there and it, that just kept rising to the top. And when I would throw that off of people, they would say, that's, you know, that's it. And so, um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, so that's the story behind landing on the name, but I think it was, um, it's, uh, you know, it's quite fitting though, right? Because he is just like, you know, all of our grandfathers or forefathers that were, um, you know, around in the thirties and the forties, like it goes back to that style. I mean, those guys, even though they were working, I wouldn't say in the field, but working these, uh, they weren't really working corporate jobs or office jobs, but the attire and what they wore daily was always a suit and a tie and a top hat. I mean, the, the look, um, that they put together daily was about distinction. And they were really, I mean, you can imagine they were, um, in those days, they had to dignify themselves through their appearance. Um, and we can talk about the need or their, their need to, to do that. That's another conversation, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, based on all that, I think it was just, it's, it's quite fitting. All the image, all the pictures, for what I remember of him, um, you know, growing up and all the pictures that I see today, he was never without a tie, a top hat and a cigar in his mouth. Um, and, and so, you know, this is Columbia, South Carolina, you know, in the summer, how did you know what? Yet he had that signature um, attire. And so, you know, again, that just goes back to like, we've as men of color have always um, taken great pride, energy and effort in our look, whether it be, you know, on the weekends, definitely on the golf course um, or going to work. And so this is, you know, grooming is just a natural extension to that. I love it. I love it. And, you know, one of the things you, we haven't talked about yet is you actually started your career in brand management. So when you mentioned the importance of a name um, and you, were, you had went to business school. So, like, tell us a little bit about some of the work that you had done in the past. Yeah, so out of business school, I, um, I went and worked for Revlon. Um, and that's where I got my first taste of brand management, which, you know, at that point I was like, okay, I love this because I've always 
I've wanted to be an entrepreneur because, you know, my grandfather was an entrepreneur, then my parents took over that business. Um, and Columbia wasn't appealing to me quite so much going back. So it was, uh, you know, they ended up uh, selling it. But, um, but at Revlon, being a brand manager on um, their antiperspirants and deodorant business, you know, I felt like an entrepreneur. Um, I was able to dream, develop, and launch um, what we called um, Cool Dry, which was a, uh, a solid deodorant that was aqueous-based, right? So it was water-based. It ended up, like, the formula ended up shrinking. Uh, so it never really worked. I think it was, it, we couldn't really figure it out because it, it lost a lot of uh, mass, if you will. But um, it was great learning, um, you know, in leadership and uh, P&L management um, and, you know, going to market. And so I stayed there for about two years. I also did some work on color stay and cosmetics. But I knew, you know, brand CPG was was my thing because there's always a lot of newness. There's 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 a great balance of creativity with just analytical business acumen. Um, and so, yeah, I was there for about two years and then um, I moved over to L'Oreal, which is um, like the biggest beauty business in the world. And I learned a lot there. Um, and now that's where I got my uh, experience in hair care, um, working for um, a small salon brand called Mazzani. So I was in the salons a lot um, during those days. And then I also got some experience with um, Biolage, which was a more general market. But it was, it was like during that time, you know, really getting into products. That's when I started getting deeper into products and finding my shelves, getting, finding myself getting lost in um, the beauty aisles as like my family or my wife, we would go into the store and they'd look around and I'm, I'm in the beauty aisle just reading labels and seeing what's new, better and different. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, so yeah, I got in after, um, after business school and just never left the, the, business, the, um, the brand management field, if you will. No, I love it. I love it. So I'm having flashbacks because at one point in time, I did relax my hair. And I remember my stylist going from Revlon to Mazzani and she was raving about Mazzani. And I've always had extremely thick hair, but we never used a super perm because my texture was fine. And I remember this whole conversation. She's like, let me work. Let me work it on you. I think it'd be excellent. And I remember the entire like product introduction, the line and you know, yeah. she was really, um, really big on, she got trained in um, John Atchison and moved out to Long Island, opened her own shop. And so, you know, it was a, a very high end product too. So everyone wasn't using it. No, wasn't yes, that was the, um, that was the in initial marketing for sure. Like you had to be certified. You had to come yep. to the class. Um, I introduced the color in the, uh, in the line, but yeah, I mean, but that was also a time when um, the relaxers, we could start seeing a dip in the relaxer sales. And so we were trying to come up with more of a texturizer. Mm. And um, that was another, 
you know, there's a lot of learnings and and beauty. And the thing is, is like when you go wrong, especially with hair care and chemicals. I didn't work on this product, by the way, but we put a product out and the hair start, you know, uh, it was it was half baked, but it was like business. You, you got to go because we were looking to hit a number, but we, we had to stop quickly because we start getting hair shedding complaints. But um, I mean, you live and you learn, but absolutely. I mean, Mazzani was, you know, when I tell people about Mazzani, especially women, they all have this special connection because, you know, as you know, you spend so much time in salon. Um, you just remember those those things. Yeah, so some good memories, some traumatic. I mean, mine were good memories. So exactly. <laughs> I don't really have too many of those hair burning, burning stop burning moments. <laughs> <laughs> but so there are a few things I want to talk about after that. Like one, the difficulty of like stepping into a space that isn't normally for men. And then two, talk about the 10,000 hours. Like I love that. That is something that you mentioned because Malcolm Gladwell's book, outliers and the tipping point, all of them, but specifically he talks about the 10,000 hours, I think in the tipping point of just being, yeah. not, and not even intentionally, right? You're just doing something, you're immersed in it, you're getting the experience and then the, their opportunity presents itself. So you take this where you want to go. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's right. I, um, you know, when I got there, you know, I was out of business school and so shit, I didn't have, excuse me, I didn't have, you know, um, I knew I wanted to do marketing, but what type of marketing? There was financial services. There was, you know, all types of stuff. But I, you know, I'm always, I'm a very tangible guy. So having, being able to touch something um, was appealing to me. But um, yeah, I mean, I got there. Um, I had a great boss. And I was fortunate enough to work with another guy at the very beginning. So we had a small team. It was um, Mitchum deodorant, Almay deodorant, and then we had this dollar brand called High and Dry, right? And so um, it was a huge business, but it wasn't exactly the focus of Redline. So we kind of operated in our own world. We were putting numbers up. The corporation was always dipping into our PL to fuel the cosmetics. But I say all that to say I was outside of the um, all the corporate crap that was going on in the cosmetic world, right? And so um, for, for a time period. So I got to really exposure and senior. I mean, I, it, it was just a great experience. But then when it got to the point where I've outlived that small team and they wanted me to go to more the cosmetic world was that's when you know I quickly realized that like this is a little tough um being it tough in terms of like just on it you know culturally if you will corporate culture um being in this hair care cosmetic world uh, one is a male, period, full stop. Two, as a straight male, period, full stop. And then three, as a black male, period, full stop. And so, um, you know, um, so, I, you know, I was able to kind of navigate it. Um, I went to, to L'Oreal. I was fortunate enough to also 
start out in a small uh, multicultural team, right? So the culture was there, but again, I was kind of the only male, straight. Um, yeah, and, um, and so, I mean, it, it, don't get me wrong, it was difficult, especially when I got to my last brand, which was Biolage. And so that's like the number one salon brand. Um, it's the number one business. So it was about three, $400 million in sales. Everybody had their eye on it. Um, and so the politics started to play, um, you know, the backstabbing and the, this, that, and the other. And it was people who didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And, you know, me having to explain because I had great experience and exposure on the smaller brands. Cause I was, you know, you know, you know, from a corporate world, when you're on the big mothership, they're all types of layers. And so, you know, exposure to senior management is non-existent because all of the, the top layers, so you're doing all the work, but you're handing it off. But on the smaller brands, right? And I'm small, meaning a hundred million, you know, 70, hundred million, um, it's flat. And so, you know, I was able to go into the CEOs and, and report. And so I had that experience and that carried me over to the larger brands. And then you've got this middle to senior folks who hadn't a clue. And so, you know, it, clashes began. Um, so, it, I mean, I, 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 it, it, was, it was rather difficult. And this was before the Crown Act. This is before, um, you know, um, all of the movement that's going on today, right? Before we got into the pronouns and before we got into like really respecting, you know, there was, so it was, it was tough. And so that was a piece of, you know, the reason why, um, you know, I was like, I think it's, you know, one, it's time for me to go, but two, having done all this work and I really enjoyed the work, like I see this opportunity here that I'm hearing them say it's not large enough, right? But I'm going, well, hell, I, I mean, it's, it's great for me. I mean, you know, as a small business guy, it, it would be a great small business. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, with that, with all that experience, the product development, um experience you know i started moonlighting if you will you know i've had all the networks i was calling my kenneth friends who i used to work with who are no longer there we were developing products um i was developing pro i had a, a mailbox down on fifth avenue a couple blocks down and so i'd take my lunch break and walk down there and grab my samples um so um so wait, I need you to pause there because yeah. I don't think people understand. So I'm not a person coming from like a product-based business. I've always been in service-based businesses. And, you know, you'll hear stories about people doing things in their kitchen and they've got, they're producing an entire like line of body butters, candles and soaps and stuff, oils and whatever from their kitchen. And talk about this concept of using a chemist in this third party process. Like, I don't know that people understand that that should be part of your planning exercise, but it requires money. So that's right. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So I will say that, um, and I tell folks this all the time when, you know, people call or they want, you know, I got a friend that's doing X, Y, and Z. Can you talk to the 
and they're making products in the bathtub and they're looking to, you know, scale it or go to a chemist to, you know, and I, you know, I tell them all the time, it's like, you know, keep doing it as long as you can, right? Because you, you, um, you're able to control the quality and the quantity and, you know, you're just, you know, you, you, you should do it until you just can't do it anymore because the business has taken off. Now, um, I think because I landed in the business, um, making products in the tub just wasn't appealing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, you know, I had this, you know, um, so I, I skipped that step. Now in hindsight, I probably, I would go back to, I probably would have saved a lot of money and time, um, honestly, formulating products in the tub because I would have had a limited amount. I would have had exactly what I could sell. Because I can tell you my first production, um, you know, I put 30, 40,000 of my own cash into it. And, you know, I was proud of the packaging. I was proud of the formulations and speaking with the chemist, all this stuff that I knew how to do, you know, because I did it um, in, um, at work. But when the truck came and I put it up in the warehouse, it was like, okay, now what? Now there was nobody else to, to speak to. And so then it, it, another realization came to say, okay, so it, these products aren't gonna sell themselves. So I had to like throw on another hat that I didn't have to wear in the corporate world and go out and hit those barbershops and, and start selling it. But um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, what I do find though is that folks with experience go straight to chemists. Folks without experience, but just, you know, have a great idea and have been like concocting products on their own. They tend to like go to blenders and start making, like there's no right or wrong answer. Um, but I tell you know, as long as you can do that, like you should definitely do that. And as long as you can fulfill orders out of your house, you should do that as well. Because, you know, the, um, the chemist and the manufacturer and the 3PL, I mean, those are hard costs. Right. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> especially at the early stage, those, that cash, I think is better used for marketing. So, um, again, there's no right or wrong because if, you know, Shea Moisture, or the, I think they started in the bathtub and look at them, you know, so there's no right or wrong. I think it's just, um, kind of knowing and you're, tolerance for um for blending and i just i didn't have it to be honest with you yeah yeah it's also being able to know what the best use of your time and money is so that's right. a that's a that's a very important thing <laughs> yeah, that's um, exactly right. so another thing i wanted to kind of chat about you are actually in target and so when you think about going from just having an idea going through a few iterations hitting the street going to the barbershops, then getting into actual stores and getting your product placed on shelves. There's a lot of steps in between, obviously, like you can write a whole book about that and people can take your masterclass and all those things. But if you had to talk about people that are in this product-based business, thinking about getting onto a shelf, 
where, where, like, what, what would you just kind of tell them some of the things to think about? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, um, so there is a, a, there's a level of readiness that needs to happen. Like you've at that point now, right. You can't be in the bathtub making products or you can't be at home fulfilling products. Right. But that's just par for the course, right? So um, you've got to, you know, so the direct business has to be at a place now that like, you've worked out all the kinks and you've got this funnel of um, new customer acquisition and fulfillment. Like, you know, so that is going. And then it becomes a point where, you know, for me, it was like, um, my customers were tired of paying shipping charges. They were always asking me, can I pick this up locally? Um, but, you know, even still that you're, you're may or may not be ready. I mean, we're still trying to get ready, right? You know, um, Target is a beast and, you know, the order flow and, and not knowing a lot of things and building the team at the same time. And so, um, you know, it's, it sounds wonderful, but it's um, it's a real challenge and it's a real milestone though, right? And so I would, you know, and again, I talk to folks all the time about, you know, retail ready and, you know, some folks like their direct consumer is not tight yet. And I'm like, just don't forget about retail, like get that direct to consumer, right? Because that's your fallback. Um, but then once you get to a certain level and we got to a certain level where, you know, um, we thought it was time to, um, to partner, but then on the flip side, you know, the retailers have been, have opened their mind to say, you know what, we need to open this, these shelves to smaller brands, right? Give them the opportunity to scale, right? Instead of giving a Gillette five, six facings of the same product, you know, if they gave one brand three or four of those and, and, and close the facings of the others, like the bigger business is not going to like, they will stay the same or continue to grow, but you're also, you know, given that opportunity to, um, to businesses like mine. I mean, so, you know, and with the pledge and so, um, so yeah, I mean it's a it's a big milestone for us. They've been a great um, partner thus far. It's hard, um, you know. You still have to move units off the shelf. Like we've got to, I mean, we've got to continue to. We're seeing improvement, but we're not exactly where we need to be. But um, you know, we we're both working together to try to to try to get there. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, look, it's it's. Um, it's wonderful, it's great, I'm excited, but at the same time, it just brings new challenges, like with team building, amplifying marketing, um, getting you know your operations, like that's where I am stuck right now, trying to hire and figure out on the fly, right, is I need operations. And so, um, but it's good. It, I mean, that, but you know, these are the problems that um, 
you expect to have, you know, and so you just keep, I wouldn't say failing, but just iterating. Totally. iterating. Yep. Exactly. Iterating. It's not, it's not failure at all. It's just like, you know, um, there's always, as you level up, the challenges tend to level up. And so you've just got to be able to match, match the moment, you know, and it, 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 it comes. And the good news is as, as you, as you grow and as you're putting numbers on the board, opportunities and people and money and all these things begin to present themselves, right? Yep. And so I've learned to be comfortable with um, not knowing and just, um, you know, kind of having faith. Yep, I love it. I love it. Having faith and not knowing. Look, there are so many gems in what you just said. First of all, if people know me, they know that I love operations and like that is my background. So you're talking to the right one right now. Just coming from the manufacturing floor, um, technologists on the manufacturing floor doing really nerdy things. Oh, wow. But, okay. Well, we got to have an offline then. <laughs> totally, totally. But one of the things that you're speaking about when you have that process is that you should be able to walk away and the business still run and the problems still be solved so that you can focus on what it takes to get into the retail. So that direct to consumer should be a clean process that even if I'm not looking at it, it's still functioning. And even everyone in my team knows how to handle every single issue because once you've experienced to your point, once you've experienced something, you document it and now it's solvable for everyone behind you. Yeah. Um, so that that's very powerful. And I think that you know, we're constantly in problem solving mode, but it's imperative to write it down. So then it's no longer your problem. Now you can delegate it to someone on the team. Um, we don't learn that in school. And so it's like, how do you help businesses get to that point? Because that's what's going to allow them to scale. But that's not the point of this conversation. The point yeah. of this conversation yeah. is to talk about now, how do you leverage golf in, in all of this, so like you're talking about an industry that probably has a lot of person-to-person connections, but then you're also talking about building your own brand and brand awareness. So for you, how, how did you even start playing and how have you used it in your career? Yeah, so, um, so golf is my outlet, you know, and I need to like my mental vacation, short vacation that's where I go whether it be on the driving range or you know on the on the course itself so it's for me it's needed and um but I started playing golf my sophomore year in college I went to a a keg party at Morehouse and uh the guy who was having a party had some clubs and I was like, do you know, do you play? He's like, yeah. And you know, it was, so we were like, all right, let's go. I went out and got some Ben Hogan's blades, Ben Hogan blades from like a thrift store and, um, and just started, I went out and just started hacking, but um, never took a lesson. Um, but you know, it, it, I just enjoy being outside, right. Um, swing in the club. And for me, it was the outside, it was the outdoors that kept me coming back. Um, and then, you know, I just never kind of stopped. And so it got to the point where I was like, okay, so I need some new clubs. 
but then golf became just an, an outing. So, right. So we would get in a cart with a six pack, you know, and just spend time out drinking and golfing. But then um, as we started doing that, um, better golfers became in my foursome. And so, <laughs> as you know, the shit talking started to happen and the side bets started to happen. And I'm a competitive dude, right? And so I was like, hmm, like I want in on some of this stuff, but I know I can't, there's no way that I should be wagering anything with my game like this. And so, you know, I leveled up again on the clubs. I started spending more time, you know, at the range um, and just continue to start dialing it in. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you're always trying to figure out, right? It's always, it's this Rubik's cube um, that, just keeps me coming back, right? I, I, you know, I don't know what it is. Well, now I know what it is, right? Because I've, you know, I've got an index now of like 18 or 16. What is the index? Let me get my right index. I hate to, you know. <laughs> I, but, I, you I know, would hate I, to tell you. Yeah, go for it. You know, I'm, um, yeah. So, so I'm just, I say that to say that I'm, I'm 16.4 is the index, right? And so, um, and now I'm becoming a student to it, right? Because I see the game of golf as parallels to everything we do, right? So there's no one look, no, there's no look that's the same if you're at a decent golf course, right? So if they're not moving the tees, okay. It's the same look, right? But that second shot is always different. Um, and there's always, a, you know, so now I'm, I'm doing my calculations. I'm doing my gapping. Um, I'm trying to figure out my landing and then the rollout. And so, um, I, I don't know, it, it's, I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a curious guy. I, I, I love to learn. I love to stay active. Um, I'm not a gym rat because that's, you know, yeah. Boring to me. Yeah. Um, so I like to walk. And, and it's, it's, you know, some people say it's not a sport, but those are the folks that haven't played it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think you can tell a lot about a person on, on the golf course, right? Because, you know, there's one guy who's, who's just happy-go-lucky to be out there not really thinking stuff through. So they're either blowing their shots through the green or coming up well short because they didn't take the time to kind of map out or course manage, if you will. Um, and then those, there are those guys that course manage, but take way too long. And then they, so I, I mean, golf is always on the mind and it's my happy place. And I'll be honest. So when I go to bed, my, my mind is always racing about the next day or the problems that's, um, needs to be solved or, or whatever the case may be. And, um, and this is almost every night I, in order to like calm my brain down so that I can then fall into my sleep. I, I put myself, 
on a golf course. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, I mean, because it, again, it's just, it's that common place for me. Especially, yeah, I get it. You know, I grew up down south. So, I, you know, when I went to high school, like we used to have classes outside. So hearing the birds, seeing the deer on the, on the you know, that it's just, that takes me to a, you know, a good place mentally. I love it. I love it. So then are you using golf at all for work then? Because it sounds like it might be the opposite. I am. Um, so have I used golf for? So I have made a ton of great connections on the golf course. Some of which um, have resulted in um, some of which were, were definitely work related, whether it be like trying to fundraise, right? It's playing with a, you know, a fund manager. Um, um, I, 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 I have done some hair care golf outings as well. Um, but what I've learned though is when that moment comes, when the preparation meets the opportunity, whatever the case may be, and you get out there and you're um, playing some playing with someone who can make a difference, but you're not out there hacking and you're out there mapping out and you're putting up good numbers and, and scoring and you know you're um, not uh, not not breaking the rules, but out, not outside of the what is it? The nor the um. You have you having a you having a decent round. Let's just go with that. You're yeah, a decent I mean, round. Yeah, right, you get invited back. They get to know you because it is you know business. Is, it is all about relationships, and so um, the last thing you want to do is is spend four hours with someone that you don't like, and also the last thing you want to do is either receive money from an investor or invest in a company of a founder where there's no compatibility. Yeah. And so um, being able to suss that out on the golf course is, um, is it a, an efficient use of time, but it also gives you great data points, right? Cause you can really understand and get to know a person, not only um, uh, um, their personality, but the way in which they they saw things, right? How they manage um, mishaps or mishits. Are they throwing clubs? Are they cursing? You know what I mean? And so those types of things, like you can, you know, um, so I guess, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of that is feeling people out because I don't know about you, I'm sure, but there are folks that I've played with for the first time and I just know that I, I, I'm not playing with that person again, just because yeah. it makes it um, unenjoyable. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, I've, I don't know if I've ever, I'm, I mean, I'm not closing deals, but I, I do make great connections that lead not only to um, great friendships, but also like, you know, you should talk to so-and-so, they're in a similar space. Um, and that four hours of this person watching you read a putt, 
or map out a strategy and execute says a lot and gives them the confidence that if I turn you on to this guy, you're not going to embarrass me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think it's more of that, if you will. Okay. And it's, it's interesting because I think that that's what people, each person has a different use of for the game, right? Some people are like, I need this time with this person alone to talk about very deal specific things. And I can't get them to sit down on the phone. And some people are like, I just want to be outside because I need a place to clear my mind. And so it's interesting to hear everyone's individual stories. So like just looking at it from the perspective, having a brand, but for you, it sounds like it's just a great way to connect and be open and clear your mind. So I love hearing everyone's perspective and sharing that with the audience, because, you know, some people are thinking I have to get into golf because I need to close deals. And sometimes it's not even that. So I would just, what I would say is, um, golf is a way to soft close, right? You're not going to be walking 18, hammering out a deal because more than likely the other guy is not going to want to spend the entire round talking about work, right? But what you are doing is again, making someone comfortable with you in order to continue the conversation, right? Because again, um, you know, when I talk to VCs, you can wow a VC, right? But they know that they're not gonna write a check tomorrow. This is a dating process, right? And so we get to know our entrepreneurs before we make an investment. And a lot of them say it takes up to 12 months for us to make that investment. And so um, it's a relationship tactic or tool Right. But again, you know, after the shot, you can say, so how is, you know, how is it going? Right. Or how's, you know, how's that thing you're working on? Like you could discuss it. Right. But it's, you, you know, if you get into the detail, you just got to know when to go in and when not to go in. Yep. You know, yep. Like, man, and so it's a, it's a delicate balance, but if the guys on the other side is as into golf as you are, um, you, 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 they probably, they, they want to hear updates and surface level stuff, but then save the details. So when you get to the 19th hole, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, yes. And like, you're not plotting and mapping and checking the wind and all that stuff. Um, I think that's, it's it, so, and that's a part of it too, is like knowing when to go hard and knowing when to just kind of let it breathe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know we've been on, we've been on the call for a minute and I just want to um, talk about the final thing, which is the give back because I, I, I'm passionate about charity and I understand that you have the partnership with the boys, with partnerships with books. Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. And then like, how did you get involved with that? And what's the, the mission there? Yeah. So, um, um, so the founder of Barbershop Books is the cousin of a classmate from Morehouse. And um, he was in teacher's college, I think, in Columbia, wanted us to connect. And so um, knowing that I was in the business and that, you know, at the, 
had a great relationship with barbers and he wanted to use the barber shops um, as a tool to you know promote reading amongst you know young black boys. Um, we just started talking. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time on breakfasts, just hearing his his ideas and his execution and giving him advice. And then finally, I was like, well, you know, let me just join your board. But I mean, the idea though, um, you know, for me was I, the literacy rate for young black boys at like third grade level is horrendous. And um, there's, I think, a clear path to like, you know, if you're 60% or above in literacy rate, like you've got a, a decent life ahead of you, right? If you're below that, like there's one road that these kids are, are on and it's behind bars, you know what I mean? And so, um, and that to me was that like that fork in the road for, you know, for black men, you know, and I just, you know, the, the men that are coming behind us and, um, it, it, it was, you know, for me, it was just a natural fit. Um, and one that um, I, I'm just trying to promote. And, and now I'm trying, you know, trying to figure out with them how to leverage the brand in order to help build their, their business. But, you know, they're also in this startup nonprofit stage where there's a lot to figure out. There's a lot of operational things to sort out before they actually scale. And so it's become not only a great mission, but also, um, you know, coaching, trying to figure out how to really, you know, scale and operationalize, if you will, a not-for-profit. So um, outside of golf and my business and my family, it, there's barbershop books. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. And, yeah, and, you, and you've been giving back because your bio, I read that you were in Kenya giving small business advice. So you've been giving back for a while. I, um, yeah, I mean, there's, I, I, you know, um, there's, there's something there that just keeps calling my name. Um, and so, um, but that's, you know, I think what's the saying? That's the rate you pay for it, living on this earth. Yeah, and I feel like that's a great way to end this segment. So thank you, Mike, for, for joining us today on Tease Me. Thanks, Mike, for joining us on this episode of Tease Me. If you learned anything from this episode, you learned that golf can be your escape. It can be the way for you to clear your mind, and it can be your happy place. It's also a way for you to learn a lot about another person. Another thing you heard was that being ready to run. Are you retail ready? Are you ready to be in a target? Have you really thought about your processes? For those of you that have product businesses, it's very important to think about how can you control the quality and the experience. And for those of us with service businesses, the question remains the same. How can you serve more people, ensure the same level of quality, ensure the same level of customer service? These are all of the things that we have to think about as entrepreneurs. And I hope that you took some gems away from this episode. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Tease Me.